Look at those pathetic worms burrowing their lives away. Do you know why I'm up here and they're down there, Miss Stone? Because you lied on your resume? No. Because I have vision. And right now, I have a vision of you and me dripping with coconut oil on a beach in Rocapulco with Mr. Slate's fortune to keep us company. Glad we see eye to eye. <laughs> and somewhere down there is the ignorant stooge who will make all my schemes come true. Ramblin, ramblin, amblin, it's the pot that's very Spielbergy. With my co-host Josh Glenn, we go through ramblin' history. <coughs> Excuse me there. Uh, Andy, said, Andy said at the st- before, we, before we started this, he's got a very silly intro planned. I should have expected that. You surprised me, sir. Ah, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me there. Um, my name is Andy Godiorok. I'm one half of your hosts of Rambling Amblin'. <laughs> oh, I didn't think of a pun. I'm, I'm Josh G- G- Gorlen. I don't know. I'll think of something else later on and we can put it over the top of that. <laughs> Rocklen. Yeah. Just always uh, go with yeah. rock. Ah. <laughs> uh, and today, we're very happy to be joined by one half of the W-rated podcast, the podcast looking at the worst-rated movies, according to IMDb, Claire Balderton. Sorry, Brunton. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Claire. <laughs> I love it. I was going to go Brontonosaurus, but oh, Balderton's much so better. much... That's no, much Balderton's better because it's a rock. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a dinosaur. <laughs> you guys are both very good at this. <laughs> I was having an internal panic there. <laughs> Uh, now uh we had your co-host the one the wonderful daisy edwards on the show uh Mm -hmm. for our episode on gremlins which was a whole 10 years in amblin time Um, (laughs) and um you were pretty early days in that uh at that juncture i think you you guys kind of started around a similar point to when we did and Mm -hmm. uh funnily enough the first episode that you had under the belt was flintstones in viva rock vegas but uh 
<laughs> how how has the journey been since then? Um, is 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 your brain melted yet? Are you okay? <laughs> it's it's really up and down because that one, especially because it was our first one, and as you're going to learn if you didn't already, I'm obsessed with the Flintstones. <laughs> I was really eager to do that one and spent so much time researching it and got really into it. And it's a real roller coaster like that. Some weeks I love the film, even if I hate it, because it's fascinating and there's so many interviews and articles and commentaries. And then other weeks you get a film where it's like, this is a bad film and no one's ever spoken about why (laughs) and none of the actors ever did any press and everyone just pretends it doesn't exist. And I'm like, oh, all right then. (laughs) So yeah, it's it's a real wave. I think brain deadness or brain meltedness only happens once a year when we do our Razzies episodes. Right. That really that really does, you know, push us to a point of no return. <laughs> That's a lot to trudge through there, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what have been some of the cut up like the highlights and the lowlights? Is there anything that's particularly grabbed you as being like, wow, that was why is why is this so bad? Or as being like, oh, this is real bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the highlights was definitely Mariah Carey's Glitter. Like, nice. Justice for Glitter. That film is not one of the worst hundred films ever made. It's by no means an amazing... Or, you know, I'd say it's fine, but I understand people saying it's not good. But, like, there's no crimes in it. It's just kind of cheaply made. <laughs> and so I just like, I don't get why everyone's so hating on this film. Um, so that was a real highlight just because it was really interesting to watch. And then that was one of those ones where Mariah Carey is an icon. And so there was so much to go into. And I love yeah. those ones where you can go into, I don't want to say work films that they've targeted women, but I love going into that stuff. So that was a real interesting one and some really horrible misogynistic reviews mm-hmm. of that one. You can imagine. Yeah, and then kind of low lights. Um, I was mentioning it to you off air, like the Netflix film, The Open House. It was just oh, a boring yeah. film that was cheaply made and there was no information on it. It was a first <laughs> director, first writer, uh, first writer, mid-cast, dull story. We had a great time recording it. Our wonderful guest, Heather Tinsley, like really brought it up for us but that was a disappointing one in that like if it's bad i want to know why i want the juice i want the goss Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe there'll be like an oral history in like 10 years time everyone finally speaks their truth (laughs) i'm curious is there a period that stands out to you as the prime moment for bad movies it's between 2000 and 2015 that has the most <laughs> of the 100 really? I think it's something <laughs> like 75 films on the 100 are from around that period wow wow um, they're like or maybe that's just post 2000 so it goes right up to today but yeah it's almost all post 2000 some of that's like recency bias and ease of access and things mm-hmm. like that um but I think when we first started doing it, there were 11, if not 12, parody films on the list as well, which is like 10% of the list or whatever maths it is. Um, and that's the lowest point in cinema for me. Like, yeah. you could get away with a couple, yeah. but when you were getting like seven, eight, nine, you know, people complain about Marvel now and superhero fatigue. We don't remember how lucky we have it when we used to have parody <laughs> fatigue. 
<laughs> epic movies and date movies and why is Borat here? Why is Jack Sparrow here? What is going on? Yeah, like Juno in Disaster Movie. I mean, some would say a teenage pregnancy is a disaster, so maybe they were going galaxy brain with that, yeah. but I don't think they were. What's our tenuous link here? Uh, now, of course, we have invited you here today to talk all things the Flintstones, but before we really kind of narrow in, uh, down uh, down on bedrock, what... Uh, kind of the what were the formative films for you across your uh across your youth and how much did Amblin Entertainment itself play a part in that makeup of uh early films so not to go straight into the Flintstones but <laughs> Flintstones was the first film I ever saw at the cinema that at ah. least I remember it's one of my earliest memories I remember being in the Greenwich cinema watching the Flintstones um with my dad so that's like a really formative memory um, and it was one of the few we had on VHS as um, children, like mm-hmm. proper VHS, not right recorded off the TV with seven mm-hmm. other million things. And um, other than that, like lots of Disney films and then kind of real random things that my dad would pick up secondhand. Ambling as itself actually really didn't factor in. I don't know if my parents didn't like Spielberg or... Like I said, my dad used to get a lot of our videos secondhand. People weren't giving away Jurassic Park and E.T. Like, they were <laughs> they were staying those. put, yeah. <laughs> so, um, like, I didn't see a lot of those bigger films until my late teens or early 20s, just because I was too little when they originally came out. Missed me as a kind of small kid. Jurassic <clears> Park <throat> had a scary, bad formative experience on me that they rented it from the video store for my older brother, and I didn't want to watch it. I don't know if they decided I was too young or what the story was. But then I came downstairs to like get a drink or get a snack at the um, Raptors in the kitchen scene. Mm-hmm. So that was my only experience of that film. <laughs> Absolutely petrifying. And I ran away and I just said I'd never watch Took it again. Took a while again. to come back to that, yeah. <laughs> I, I watched it the week before Jurassic World came out. And I stand by even as like a 20-something yeah. when I watched it. That's a scary scene. Scary. Definitely, fully agree with you there. (laughs) Scary, scary movie. Not to trigger any bad film memories for you there. Um, So when you did eventually get around to watching E.T., let me ask you this, Claire. Did you cry? I had a full breakdown within the first... No, no, no. Within the first 15 minutes before anything even happened. I just watched it. And the minute E.T. turned up, I just started sobbing. I just couldn't stop wow. crying. I, I think like it might have been around the time I'd had like a pet loss or something. But right. there was something about E.T. turning up and this little kid and E.T. just having this instant bond. I was like in my room, tidy in my room, and I just had to sit down because I couldn't stop sobbing. And I turned it off and I didn't come back to it for like three or four years. Because I was just like, no, wow. that's that's a bad movie. Like wow. that's going to upset me. There. Let's put that away for a bit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Joey in the fridge. That goes in the fridge. Um, Wow. Yeah, when I eventually watched it, probably then beginning to end, I can't remember if I cried at the sad, scary bits. I'm sure Mm -hmm. I did. Um, But it didn't have that same horrific (laughs) Visceral, traumatic reaction. (laughs) Well, I think that's one for me there, Andy. Oh, for sure. I'll get my... Thank thank you, Claire. No problem. Imaginary (laughs) chalkboard. There we go. Um, but yeah, so we've spoken a little bit about Amblin. I'm very excited to get stuck into Flintstones, especially to hear your takes on it, Claire, because I know mm-hmm. back when we very first started our podcast together, we were aware somehow that you were a big, big Flintstones <laughs> fan. Yeah. It's, uh, 
it's out there. Before we do, though, Andy, in case anybody hasn't watched Flintstones before this episode, uh, please do let us know, if you can, what this movie is about. I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Bedrock, the prehistoric suburb where dinos and humans live side by side. Cars are powered by feet, and the BC-52s are dominating the charts. It is also home to everyone's favourite modern-day Stone Age family, the Flintstones. Fred, played by John Goodman, Wilma, Elizabeth Perkins, and daughter Pebbles, played by Elaine and Melanie Silver, as well as their best friends and neighbours, Barney and Betty Rubble, played by Rock, I mean Rick, Moranis, and Rosie O'Donnell. God's sake. <laughs> I promise that's Keep the going. Only, I'm loving it. That's the Keep only going. One. I, I promise that's People the should play a drinking game while you... Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Rubbles are desperate to adopt a child of their own, and out of the goodness of his big heart, Fred loans his best pal the money, and the Rubbles welcome wild child Bam Bam, played by Hunya and Marino Sigerson, into their home. Keen to repay his friend some way, somehow... Barney thinks he finds the moment when one day at the Slate & Co. quarry, where both Fred and Barney work as dino crane operators, new vice president Cliff Vandercave, played by Carl McLaughlin, offers one of the workers the chance to earn a new executive position on the board, with the individual set to be determined by an aptitude test. Knowing Fred doesn't quite have the brains to get the job, Barney swaps their tests, and lo and behold, Fred has given the job and all of the executive perks it offers. From bonuses to talking bird dictaphones, voiced by Harvey Corman, <laughs> and an attractive secretary, Sharon Stone, played by Harley Berry. But unbeknownst to Fred, he is being set up as the fall guy for an embezzlement scheme hatched by both Vandercave and Stone. But blinded by the perks of the job, and fundamentally changed by his bumper paycheck, Fred starts to lose himself, and before long, his family's family and friends turn away just as Vandercave's plot comes to light and puts Fred in the frame. Can Fred prove his innocence and win back the trust of his friends and family? Will Vandercave's plans for, for a production line housing eradicate the quarrymen workforce? Will Bam Bam call Barney Dada? And will any rock and or stone pun be left unturned? It's all going down in bedrock. <laughs> Beautiful. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Happy with that, Claire? I think it's perfect. I felt like I was about to like start listening to a radio play. Uh, I now want it reenacted as a radio play. Yeah. Orson Welles' radio play. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we briefly touched on your first experiences with this, Claire. Um, Andy, do you remember yours when you first came into contact with this movie? Yeah, I want to say it was about Christmas 96. I think it was on BBC One and... Mm-hmm. Like many an Amblin, an Amblin joint, I had it recorded off the TV, and I remember watching it a lot. It was one that um, both me and my sister liked a lot, and we wore out that recording pretty quickly. Despite the fact not really having much affection for the cartoon series itself, I really liked this version of the Flintstones as a kid. Like mm-hmm. Fred Flintstone, when you say that to me, I don't think of the cartoon Fred Flintstone. I think of John Goodman as Fred Fred Flintstone. How about yourself, Josh? Yeah, pretty much word for word the same thing. It's one I associate with Christmas massively. I feel like it was on often, uh, particularly in the late 90s, on Mm -hmm. uh, Christmas TV. And uh, yeah, I I really heavily associate, particularly the end 
the the sort of showdown on the big contraption. I associate that with Christmas Eve really vividly, really, <laughs> really, really vividly. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's also um, I, I, I'm, one of my notes is that it's traps adjacent. I, one of my uh, yeah, kinks, um, Claire, is I love traps in films like The End of Home Alone and uh, Predator. Predator and Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> I love when films have traps in them. Anything that's remotely trap esque, like mm. the end of this movie, really, yeah. really gets me. So yeah, very much the same as you, Andy. Um, but I, I don't know. When it comes to the series, I feel like I didn't have an awful lot of uh, affinity for that either. I'd watch it maybe in a morning. I, I feel yeah, like as kids, a lot of those really Hanna Barbera shows were on T on like Cartoon Network before school in the morning. So yeah. I, I, I will have seen it, you know. Through osmosis that way, but um, how about you, Claire? Did you have any uh, particular affinity for the show? Yeah, so like we we were we were a poor family. We had channels one to four, so no Cartoon no, Network for us. Um, but it used to be on BBC Two for some reason. Yeah, and I remember, I remember like that. whenever it was on BBC Two, like if it was on, I was watching it. Um, I absolutely loved the show. It was like one of my favorites. That and Bewitched for some reason, and then oh, wow. obviously um, Diagnosis Murder. If you ask me about my childhood, <laughs> love Diagnosis Murder. They're the three. There's like show. a weird combo <laughs> of flicking between one, two, yeah. and four to get the the holy trinity of a weird daytime TV. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like absolutely loved the cartoon. Was a massive fan, um, and like. I remember, and I don't know how true or not this is, but like I have a distinct memory of like my parents saying, like calling me Pebbles or saying I was like Pebbles. <laughs> so I was like a little redhead kid, and they that was a little redhead kid on the TV, and like pickings were slim in the early nineties for like redhead people to look up to. It was Ariel, and my parents hated the Little Mermaid. At it was my favorite film of all time. So they refused to buy it on VHS because yeah. they were just like, no, no, we're not having, <laughs> not having that. It on repeat. <laughs> but my, they made the mistake of buying me the cassette tape. So then whenever we went on long car trips, we had to listen to the entire film via <laughs> cassette with my little read-along book. Um, but yeah, so like Pebbles and Wilma were like my people, my go-tos. Yeah. Um, and I just loved, I'm a massive sitcom fan. And I think mm-hmm. I loved, even at that young age, the comfort of a sitcom. Because it is, that's, it's an animated sitcom. Mm-hmm. It's based off the Honeymooners. And um, so it's just like watered down and muted and cute. And like, there's a dinosaur and a saber-toothed tiger. And I loved the silliness of it all. And I still do. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And that's quite a good segue into a little bit of uh, context mm. for the movie. Uh, Claire, I feel like you will know all this stuff inside out. So please feel free to jump in, <laughs> correct me, or, you know, add any colour at any point. Or um, any rock or stone puns. Or any rock or stone puns. I feel like Andy might have that one covered. But we'll yeah, see. I think so. <laughs> so let's like say it was an animated sitcom and it was apparently the first animated series to hold a primetime slot on television, uh, mm-hmm. being broadcast on ABC from 30th of September 1960 until the 1st of April 1966. It was produced, like we said, by Hanna-Barbera, who were also responsible for Yogi Bear, Top Cat, The Jetsons, Wacky Racers, Scooby-Doo... And loads more, a bunch of RG The, the best comics. cartoons we ever got. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys remember Inch High Private Eye? It yes, brings a bell. I never watched it, but I remember the little person. Yeah, yeah. little teeny tiny. Because, yeah, yeah I, I, was, I was crazy about that one. That was a, no, uh, I was Scooby-Doo, Jetsons and Top Cat. They mm-hmm. were my rotation. Oh, and then Top, Top Cat. Wacky Races and Catch Scooby-Doo. the Pigeon when they went on to the BBC. <laughs> 
Catch the yeah. Pigeon. Catch that, the that Pigeon. A, I remember that. That was an early tune. morning uh, staple as well. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so that, like, like you said, uh, Claire, for the Flintstones, William Hatter and Joseph Barbera essentially took the honeymooners, uh, the honeymooners and popped it in a Stone Age setting, which paid off because it was the most uh, financially successful and longest running network animated television series for three decades until it was suppressed Ooh. in 1997 by... Do we know? The Simpsons? Yeah, The Simpsons, <laughs> which is now in what? It's 33rd season or something crazy like that? 30, yeah. Might even be 35. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Quite scary. So it, it makes a lot of sense <laughs> that they would eventually adapt the Flintstones into a film. And the origins of said adaptation go as far back as 1985 when producers uh, Keith Barish and Joel Silver. Uh, which is quite funny, bought the rights for a live-action feature and commissioned Stephen D'Souza, yes, that's right, the writer of 48 Hours, Commando, Die Hard, and Hudson Hawk, uh, to write a script and hired Richard Donner to direct. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? I'm sure you'll talk about it. I read, like, the plot that they wanted, and I was like, did you ever watch the Akin to gr- the grapes of wrath, or well, something. That, that was that was a that was a couple of drafts later. The, the first draft oh. that D'Souza submitted was in September '87 and was rejected. Uh, a new script was then submitted in October '89 by Daniel and Joshua Golden. Um, Peter Martin Wartman and Robert Conte submitted another draft in March 1990 before Mitch Markovitz, who wrote Good Morning Vietnam, was hired to write a script. And he's quoted as saying, I don't even remember uh, it that well, but Fred and Barney leave their town during a terrible depression and go across the country or whatever that damn prehistoric thing is looking for jobs. (laughs) I'm giving his pants here. Uh, they not wind a man up... who was loving the material, <laughs> is it? Really <laughs> they wind up in trailer parks trying to keep their family together. They exhibit moments of heroism and poignancy, which yeah, was a bit of a crepes of rap. Crepes of rap? Crepes of rap. It's nice to see, like, we're in the age of, like, gritty, dark reboots. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. nice to see they were trying to pull this shit in the 90s. Right? <laughs> Just obviously, someone, yeah. someone in charge stopped them. <laughs> yeah, thank- thankfully. Well, apparently, uh, it was too sentimental for Donna, who rejected it. Uh, so, <laughs> further draft. The director of the Goonies rejected something for being too sentimental. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't even sound, that sounds like a Gus Van Sant version of what a Flintstones movie would be. Oh, but now I really want Gus Van Sant's Flintstones. Yeah. Why, did you, why did you offer me it if I can't have it? <laughs> it sounds a bit like Jerry. <laughs> um, so another draft, I've lost count of how many drafts this is now, was submitted and revised by Jeffrey Reno and Ron Osborne in 1991 and 1992, respectively. At this point, the riots were bought by Amblin and Signor Spielbergo himself. Uh, and that was when Brian... Oh, sorry, Claire. Isn't he, doesn't he have an official Flintstones name? Oh, yes, oh that's right, he does. Andy, do you want to... Steven Spielrock. <laughs> Steven Spielrock. <laughs> so from here on out, whenever you say Spiel- Spielberg, it must Spielrock. be Spielrock. <laughs> uh, control F. Spielberg. <laughs> so he brought on Brian Levon as a director because he knew he was a lover of the original series as Levon had an extensive merchandise collection like apparently it's an enviable merchandise I've, collection I've seen bits of it I can't remember I have you like... seen it? well because he unfortunately well not like, he directed Viva Rock Vegas which I have no mm-hmm. affinity for 
whatsoever. Um, I don't know who wrote it's The problem is with the writing and the budget <laughs> rather than anything else. Um, and it's the generally downgraded cast. <laughs> really downgraded. Um, but so I think he was doing an interview for that and he had all of the stuff in the background. And it's amazing. Oh, oh it's amazing. wow. Yeah. I'm excited to dig that up when it comes to Atten to TV Rock Vegas. Actually, I take back my cast statement. Mark Addy is innocent. <laughs> is he though? Is he? <laughs> Wait until we get to 2000, Josh. Hold that. <laughs> but Jane Krakowski is the only one that comes out of that film unscathed. Oh just barely. Yeah. Wow. I always forget that she was in that movie. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also he had a, an ex- expansive knowledge of the series. He was a real ride-or-die Flintstones guy. So to rewind a little bit and talk about Brian Levant and where he was at this point in his career, um, he started off in 1976 as a writer for Happy Days, uh, then going on to also write for shows including The Jeffersons, Mork and Mindy, and something called Still the Beaver. His feature debut was a sequel to Problem Child in 1991, all three of which were huge staples in my childhood, the Problem Child <laughs> All three? <laughs> yeah, there was a straight-to-video third entry, which uh, was, was major. Uh, and then he followed up that with Beethoven in 1992. Uh, following this, he also went on to direct an Andy Gerdion favourite, Jingle All The Way, Indeed. before making, like you say, the Flintstones prequel in 2000, uh, which W-rated covered and is an excellent episode. Everyone should give that a listen. Um, Not an excellent film. Save yourself. (laughs) Saves Levan of the critical derision towards his films. I'm making movies for for the audience that I was when I was sitting at home watching Garfield Goose and the Three Stooges on WGN. To read those reviews is an act of self-flagellation. But reviews be damned when you're at Blockbuster and you're seeing family after family grab one of your movies off the shelf on a Friday night. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. To be fair, I think that's a pretty good description of his function (laughs) because we've rented a lot of his films from the Apollo video shop. Jingle All The Way was a Christmas staple. It was on the TV. We were forcing our parents to let us watch it. (laughs) I probably still watch that at least twice at Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we've seen it on film, haven't we, at the Prince yeah, Charles? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent work. Excellent and, I, work. and I'll see it again. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> so with Levant on board, uh, all previous script drafts were thrown out. So all of that hard work, <laughs> be gone. <laughs> Uh, in May 1992, Michael J. Wilson, who was the creator of I- the Ice Age franchise, submitted a four-page story that became the basis for this film, turned into a script by Jim Genoine and Thomas Parker. A further draft was produced by Gary Ross of Seabiscuit and the Hunger Games fame sure. after a meeting of executives <laughs> produced extensive feedback notes. Ah, we're still not over the drafting. I'm going on a lot about the script, but I think it's quite important to understanding this movie as it is. Up until preparing for this, I actually had missed how many people were involved in the script process. Like the the Wikipedia section just keeps going and going. It keeps on. We've got to get into the production somewhere. Come on. (laughs) So as if that wasn't enough writers, uh, Levant then hired an all-star writing team to punch up the script uh, and make it feel more like a sitcom on steroids. The Flintstones uh, team... 8, I believe. Yes, the Flintstones <laughs> 8, which consisted of his writer friends from TV shows like Family Ties and Night Court and Happy Days. Um, that wasn't it, though. There were four more roundtable <laughs> sessions, each including new talent, and at one point, even Rick Moranis himself, 
who described the script as <laughs> as one of those scripts that had about 18 writers. Even, At least. even his exaggeration is 17 short. Um, <laughs> there were eight more revisions made before a shooting script was finally submitted on the 7th of August, 1993, which is two months into shooting. <laughs> 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 of the 35 total writers, the Flintstones 8 was submitted for arbitration by the WGA, but credit was only given to D'Souza, Genoine, and Parker, because uh, they each wrote the substantial drafts. Right. So with the script done, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about casting. And uh, the, the, the crucial, the cornerstone, the bedrock, if you will, of this whole right. endeavour is Mr. Goodman as Fred, who was never in doubt in Spielberg's eyes. Spielberg. According to Goodman, absolutely bullied into yeah. it. <laughs> the word he used was sandbag, which sandbag. I, I was not so familiar with. So apparently also considered in various stages were John Candy, who unfortunately died the year this film was, was released, Jim Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. But yeah, it was always always going to be uh, John Goodman with Spielberg. Um, Spielrock. It's so funny. Spielrock, I this film and was it uh, The Borrowers? And mm-hmm. was he also in Mouse Hunt? No, that's a different guy in Mouse Hunt. That was but there was Lane definitely Hunt, another yeah. like kidsy comedy mm. film. I, for years, thought John Goodman was a comedy actor. And it was Same, only... Yeah. Mid two thousands, he kept like popping up in these serious films. I was like, "Oh, look at him trying to be a serious actor." And then I was like, "Oh no, he's actually a very serious actor." But I didn't realize. Just remember, he's also the dad in Coyote Ugly, isn't he? That's it. Yeah, and and he does like a funny little dad dance. He He has all the comedy lines. He's so precious in that film. I love him in that film. But yeah, so when he started popping up and like going for these awards films, I was like, "Dude, stay in your lane." Oh, oh no! I'm very wrong. <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah>. John. <laughs> um, he was on Roseanne, the sitcom, which I have never watched, and I suppose these no. days there's not an awful lot of uh, impetus to go and watch it. Given it was wonderful, mm-hmm. really groundbreaking. Um, my parents used to watch it, and I would watch bits of it. Um, like my dad would quote all their names and like when the Big Bang Theory started my dad got really into the Big Bang Theory because of all the cameos from Roseanne cast Ah, Um, because there's a lot of crossover between the cast because Leonard was originally from Roseanne um, but yeah, really groundbreaking, brilliant show, probably also why I thought John Goodman was a comedy actor because that Mm. was on our TV all the time yeah a long time was it? Uh, Nine years altogether and uh, I think this was shot during his break you got what sorry? It got a reboot run as well. It got a reboot and then a spin-off because it's Roseanne... not a reboot. A sequel series, <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry. A, a revival. 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 Yeah, revival. It's become for. my new hill to die on, even though I'm years too late. <laughs> but then it was the they took out the Roseanne element and just had the Connors, didn't they? With because the she went she on like a super stuff. racist yeah. match. Oh yeah. Um, and it's a real shame because she came up with the concept of us and the original show was mm. her idea, her concept. Mm-hmm. She was so involved in it. And it was a real groundbreaking thing of seeing a family, you know, a lower income family on TV and yeah. talking about political things. But then she became very right wing. And so they wanted to give her the chance to be right wing on the show and have debate and have conversation. But personal life took it too far. And so they turned it into the Connors and John Goodman became the main character and they literally just had her be dead. They like started it back up a few months oh, later. Yeah, she's died. 
Bye. Kind of like when Charlie Sheen was replaced on Two and a Half Men, and like, mm-hmm. in between seasons, he was just hit by a train, and suddenly Ashton Kutcher's there as a yeah. this new interloper. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he cut, he, he cut his teeth on that, I guess, for us prominence. So he was adept at the sort of sitcom rhythms. But mm-hmm. like you say, Claire, he did have a lot of really serious collaborations. Um, the most interesting, I, I think, is the Coen Brothers collaboration. So you had mm-hmm. Raising Arizona, Barton Fink, and the Hudsucker Proxy all before this. And uh, he also made several appearances in films that we've covered on this very podcast. Arachnophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, Always. We're always back. we're back <laughs> the dinosaurs story <laughs> uh, and it was always that was a crucial um crucial work in his ending up here because it was at the table read for always that spielberg <laughs> announced to everyone there uh, off the cuff before it began let me just say ladies and gentlemen i have found my fred flintstone <laughs> which was the first john goodman had heard <laughs> just like, what <laughs> I see that as the highest compliment, and I think this is one of the most perfectly cast roles in the history of film. But I can understand for poor Mr. Goodman, probably at a table read, really like trying to sell this role in this very different film. Be like, excuse me, what the fuck? You look exactly like Fred Flintstone. Stop telling me that's the Spielrock. Uh, so, like you say, he wasn't looking forward to doing it, but apparently he did have a fun experience making the film, so it worked out. Okay, in the end. Uh, As Wilma, Elizabeth Perkins ended up being cast, but before her, Gina Davis, Faith Ford, and Catherine O'Hara, imagine, were considered uh, for the character. I I would have loved to see Catherine O'Hara's version, but I'm glad it wasn't her because Mm. she's too strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like Perkins. And at that point, I suppose Big is the big role yeah. in her career before that but there were a lot i did a little look of, at her filmography and i didn't recognize a single title other than big before this a lot of sort of brat pack adjacent things and mm-hmm. a lot of like mid-tier crime thrillers and you know she but... never got her big moment no mm. well, god completely not pun intended <laughs> <laughs> she she had the closest thing to a big moment was 1994, in which not only did she star in The Flintstones, but also Miracle on 34th Street, which makes her, oh, I think, yeah. a crucial player in, in the childhoods of 90s kids. Because <laughs> I, I watched this and Miracle on 34th Street and Big on quite a regular rotation as a kid. I thought she was in more films than she actually turns out to be. <laughs> when you get older and realise, oh no, she, she never Just really popped, two. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> They're the ones. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, Perkins as well. But as Barney, originally they wanted Danny DeVito. He was the first choice, but he turned it down because he thought he was too gruff for the role. Very so he, correct. Yes, yeah. uh, what a brilliant act by Mr. Moran- uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. DeVito. He suggested Rick Moranis. Now this is our first time talking about Moranis oh. on the podcast. <laughs> so I am uh, thankfully not our last. We have one more after this. <laughs> I'm very excited. He's one of my favorite guys. He's one of my all time favorite guys i love him he's the best i I just i love want to hug him and tell him how special he is so if you'll allow me to just have a little teeny tiny (laughs) tangent to just talk about rick moranis for a little a little teeny tiny bit um so rick moranis he sort of cut his teeth on radio comedy and sctv second city tv which is i guess reductively you can call it canada's snl isn't that where like Brian Cranston or Bob Odenkirk or one of them loads. came from as well. Yeah, Catherine yeah. O'Hara, she's from there. Yeah. Martin Shaw, Eugene, John Levy. Candy, loads of them. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I've seen bits of it, and there's some. 
There's some great stuff. I like with any sketch show. Some great stuff. Some <laughs> not all going to be winners. <laughs> but it was uh, the Great White North sketch, um, which he performed with Dave Thomas on SCTV, that really broke him out. It was a phenomenon culturally, and it led to Moranis' first major film debut, which he co-wrote and co-directed with Dave Thomas. Uh, Strange Brew, which I've never seen. Have you? Ever, you guys ever seen, seen Strange, Strange Brew? Brew? Uh, it sounds very Canadian. Uh, over the next decades he starred in a bunch of little a bunch of generational touchstones like Ghostbusters and Spaceballs and Little Shop of Horrors and a film that I wish we were going to talk about on this podcast which feels like we should Honey I I Shrunk the Kids (laughs) but the yeah Honey I Shrunk the Kids is the one the the most Amblin film that isn't Amblin I feel like (laughs) and I would love to talk about that one day um, he had a couple of roles following the Flintstones, including one that we're going to talk about in a few episodes' time, before largely stepping away from the limelight for personal reasons. And he's thankfully back. Question mark. At some point, yeah, with the <laughs> Honey I Shrunk the Kids reboot or really re- reprise or yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's in the cast mm. for that. Um, oh. But yeah, bit of ready he's silence missed... on that production. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've mentioned it in the past as well, but Nick Assembly's book, Wild and Crazy Guys, does go into a lot of detail yeah. on his his career and his reasons for going away. So I do recommend giving that a little read if you are interested. But yeah, he's just he's the best. I love him so much. <laughs> little Rick. Uh, and then as Betty, we have Rosie O'Donnell, who had worked on TV since the mid-80s with a recurring role in a show called Give Me a Break. And she had bit parts in a huge range of films from A League of Their Own and Sleepers in Seattle to Another Stakeout, the sequel to Stakeout, and <laughs> Fatal Instinct, which, uh, that's the, um... That's the Glenn Close, Michael Douglas. No, that's... Oh, that's I, Fatal, I, I think Fatal Jackson. Instinct is the parody. Oh, I see. I didn't really... Yeah. I put... <laughs> it, took, it took me a while to, to, to the clock, because I thought, hang on, it didn't come out. It's, it's, <laughs> I was um, like, have you just typed that wrong? <laughs> Fatal Instinct. It's Cole, yeah, Cole Rayner. It's a Sean Young joint. Oh, nice. I didn't know yeah. a parody of those. Cheryl and Ben. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a parody of the erotic thriller genre. See, they uh, were happening before. Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um... And yeah, originally, because she, of them all, she's the one that's accused of bearing the least resemblance to the character physically. Well, it was controversial because she was quote unquote overweight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously in, this, in the show, they are teeny tiny people. Like, yeah. 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 Cartoons, guys. Come on. <laughs> that's it. Like, I do, I do get why on paper people might have been annoyed mm-hmm. but like they cast her because she did the voice so perfectly so, yeah the little giggle and she, yeah and she fits in the film so wonderfully like she completely encaptures betty as a character and gives betty a little bit more to do because wilma and betty especially in the early versions of the shows are kind of chronically underwritten as just naggy wives and Betty isn't even a nagging wife. She's the next door neighbour of the nagging wife. So it was nice that like she gave her some power and some embodiment while still completely honouring the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've never had a problem with an, again, quote-unquote overweight Betty. Not at all. No, no. So all, really all very silly proto-internet troll behaviour. Well, she won a Razzie for the... I know. For the, for she won, yeah. It's harsh. Just... There must have been worse performances that year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. And enough of that. We're, we're very pro Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. LGBT icon. <laughs> she rules. 
Uh, and she really annoyed the former president of the United States. That's a good <laughs> Yeah, we love to see it. <laughs> and then rounding out the cast, you have Kyle McLaughlin. The gorgeous Kyle McLaughlin. As, Who uh, I have high-fived. In no! Nice. What was that? When did you high-five him? I went to see a recording of the James Corden show when I was oh, in LA. Wow. And he was the guest. And we were on the edge. And he Holy made us all high-five him. That's like, I have touched um, a cast member of the Vincent. you like, and you can on the, <laughs> on the James Corden Instagram page. Or is it? No, it's Kyle McLaughlin's Instagram page. He put a picture up of his entry. And you can see my red hair. Wow. And my hair. Oh, that is, <laughs> love that. That is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could touch Kyle McLaughlin's hand. <laughs> uh, he, was, he plays the wonderfully named Cliff Vandercave, uh, the chief antagonist. And Sharon Stone, his accomplice, was unsurprisingly originally slated slated hey. to be played by Sharon Stone. You're doing them naturally now. <laughs> uh, before the role went to Halle Berry. It's kind of wild that I just thought like that was just a baked in joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> didn't know that they always... were actually car- they had actually <laughs> yeah, sought to cast Sharon Stone. <laughs> uh, and also of note is that it is somehow the final film performance of Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, it's kind of like seeing Audrey Hepburn in Always. It's, it's just seeing someone from a completely different era of filmmaking mm-hmm. in a modernish setting. Whereas I think this is probably the only Elizabeth Taylor film I've ever seen. It's definitely the first time I saw Elizabeth Taylor in something. Every time I watch it, it baffles me just how dialed in she is. She she could so easily play above it. You know, but she's really, she's in there. She really gets in there. She goes for it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's having fun. She is. Because yeah. she only has, what, two, maybe three scenes? But yeah. she seems such a big part, mm. such a tiny part. She looms large. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with the cast in place, uh, principal photography began on 17th of May, 1993, in Glen Canyon, Utah, and LA County, California. The expensive sets that made up Bedrock were constructed adjacent to Vasquez Rocks in California. Mm. They took two months to build and account for 10% of the film's $45 million budget. Ooh. And I, I, if I could get a time machine for you, Claire, mm-hmm. and send you back, <laughs> they were left open to visitors uh, for a bit, I'm not sure how long afterwards, but for a time before sure being how. demolished, um, yeah. which just got... Imagine. 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 <laughs> I'd have so much fun. Like, I, as I was watching this the other night, um, some of my friends are going to Secret Cinema at the moment, which is Gardens of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. I was like, Secret Cinema Flintstones, when? Like, <laughs> the absolute cowards. Start All they do campaign. now is a load of sci-fi stuff so they can reuse the same old Blade Runner set and just That's put a, a point, colour actually. on it. Like, give me give me the Flintstones. Yeah. Try hard. Give me it. <laughs> that would be... Because this would be a good movie to just hang out in for a little that's, bit. Yeah. And that's what you want for Secret Cinema. You just want to go and hang out mm. and drink the silly drinks and have a silly cup and have, like, see a dinosaur. Yeah. Some animatronic bins. background details that are going on. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And you could you could like have a little thing where you get to go in the car with one. Oh, oh, yeah. That'd be a. And you can order a big rack of ribs that <laughs> topples yeah. your car over. Oh come on, secret cinema! I would pay money. I would pay like 
big box. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm hoping that we can, between us, uncover a well of Flintstones champions out yeah. there. Oh, no, can... I've been trying. They're not coming. They, they don't exist. It's just me. It's just me. Cowards. 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 <laughs> Uh, speaking of the little critters and that, uh, they were done by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Uh, talking Dino, the Dicta Bird, the little, the um, the garbage disposal unit, yeah. all that business, which all looked great. They apparently only had 12 weeks to deliver yeah, more than I read 20 creatures. Yeah, nuts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely wild. So different individuals focused on different different creatures. Uh, I'm honestly surprised they didn't steal dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah just stick this like, one in just, the back. Just, <laughs> just jump over. <laughs> yeah. well, it was Jurassic Park that, that turned Levan onto ILM. He was impressed with their work, so hired them for their visual CGI effects here, such as the saber-toothed cat, which apparently, again, and this is IMDb trivia, so I wasn't able to verify this, but apparently it's one of the first uses of furry CG uh, character in a feature film. Which is a very that. specific, complex algorithm, which had to be developed to calculate the movements of every single hair of the fur. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine that is real because I remember when Monsters Inc. came out, yeah. that was such a feat yeah. that they had, yeah. they were able to do Sully. Like they were people going on about how revolutionary Sully was. So I can imagine, yeah, because like the saber tooth tiger is only in a very small bit yeah. of the film, and it doesn't look great. It looks quite that's smooth. That's the first time it's <laughs> ever been done. Mm. Fair, fair play. Yeah, yeah. Give it a go. No Flintstones, no Monsters, Inc. <laughs> I, I feel like even as a kid watching the behind-the-scenes stuff for Monsters, Inc., I, I feel like even I knew back then that it was a huge thing with his fur. Yeah. They, they, really they, they animated that. every single blade of his mm. fur, which like was just insanity. No one had ever had the time to do that, let alone the money, the resources. So, yeah. And it all 13. started with the Flintstones. It all started with the Flintstones. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> So, with the film wrapped 20th of August, edited, in the can, um, ready to be released, what did the world think of it? Well, unfortunately, they hated it, largely. Well, <laughs> that isn't critically true. Critics. It was yeah. savaged by critics. Both Siskel and Eva gave it two thumbs down. And some of the complaints about this film, I think, are really funny. Yeah. They complained that the main storylines were too adult and wouldn't be understood by children, which is wrong, because I... Got along yeah, with fire when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Turin of the LA Times compared it to the Adams family and said mm. that both films were clever, lively, and ultimately wearying pieces of showy Hollywood machinery. <laughs> now, I will not tolerate Adams family slander on this podcast. <laughs> you... Apart, if you take one word out of that review, it's a brilliant review. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it was going so well. <laughs> Karen James of the New York Times said that Goodman goes a long way toward carrying Flintstones over a script that is essentially a bunch of rock jokes and puns stretched to feature film length. Yeah, and... Before... This is... This is my whole problem. I know. Karen... It's like, that's the show. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And Karen also moans that there were no modern pop culture references, which that would be... BC 52s. <laughs> they do that in Viva Rock Vegas, and it's awkward yeah. because w- watching Viva Rock Vegas for the first time in 2021, I think it was, I was like, this is so dated. Yeah. This is so... Yeah. Where is... Jerry Springer doing here. Yeah, 1994 doesn't feel that dated. Like, the BC-52s 
I don't know how big they were. I don't really remember ever hearing of them other than Love the Shack, right? and then Love Shack. <laughs> but like, I feel like they are that mid-level that yeah. you might have imagined they just exist for the film if you watched it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. I, I quite like bands like that. You think, oh, it's nice yeah. that they made up and you know put together a whole band. For- oh no, they were real. They had that <laughs> one song. <laughs> there was a couple of good reviews. There were a couple of good reviews. So Tom McCarthy in Variety and Richard Schnickel in Time. They uh, they were quite fond of the film, but they were overwhelmed by the negative <laughs> critical response. Yeah. Even Joseph Barbera, uh, one of the co-creators of the show, said that the film and its story wasn't as good as I could have made it. And I um, feel like that's that's a fine thing to say because I can imagine if it's your baby and it's yeah. taken away from you, it's never going to be the same as if you did it. Like, I'm sure they yeah. say the same about Scooby-Doo movies and I will not have anything said about the Scooby-Doo <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> good, good movies, Scooby-Doo I think movies. a lot... I think they, like... I think they're generally towards the end of their careers. They had a lot of... Their, like, everything just got pulled away mm. from them. Like, even the company that they started got absorbed by Warner Brothers mm-hmm. by yeah. the late 90s. So I think they were probably quite sour towards anything that was kind yeah. of being done around yeah. around their original properties, which, fair play. <laughs> I, but I also think, like, it's real easy three years after the film's come out yeah. and you've seen that people didn't like it to be like, yeah, I would have done a better job. It's like, well, why didn't you at the time? <laughs> it wasn't invited, but, you know, you were happy to cash the check. Yeah, yeah exactly. With hindsight... Everyone. I love Hannah and Barbera, so like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they're dead, but like, still love you. Sorry. Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace. We've, uh, we've mentioned the uh, Golden Raspberries uh, win for O'Donnell. It also unfortunately won screenplay, and it made year-end worst of lists in several publications. Which everyone needs to just calm down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And despite the critical drubbing, uh, it's got a happy ending, this tale, because it was a huge box office success, yeah. grossing $37 million over its four-day Memorial Day opening weekend, which was then a record for the holiday, mm-hmm. and going on to make over $130 million domestically. Uh, it added another $211 million internationally, making for a total haul of just shy of $342 million, which is seven times, I think, its budget, which yeah. is ginger peachy. Uh, the UK particularly had the second highest opening week at that time behind Jurassic Park mm-hmm. for the gross of $8.7 million. And I just I enjoy that Wikipedia felt the need to say it did not perform well in France or South Korea. <laughs> What's wrong with the French? <laughs> well, how much time do you have? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Jelly <laughs> glass. Hey, can I have everybody's attention, please? I would like to propose a toast to not only a great bowler but a great human being. And no offense to you guys. Since I was just a lad of 10, I've had the very bestest friend. He may be big, he may be loud, so you'll never lose him in a crowd. But for my friend, the special part is what's behind his ribs, his heart. (laughs) I owe my son to him, and now, I stand before my peers and vow I'll pay him back someday, somehow. <laughs> the end. <laughs> 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 
That was beautiful, Bond. I meant every word of it, Fred. Care to join me in a cold one? Look. Doesn't get any better than this. Um, so yeah, I think that's that is quite a good little springboard to jump into uh, our wider conversation. I think I've spoken for a while, Claire. I would be delighted to see the floor to you and just what is it about this film that works for you and mm-hmm. that has kept it at the forefront of your mind for all of these years? Yeah, so I think what annoys me most because I've become very involved in Flintstones again due to W-rated kicked kicked off. It reignited my love for the Flintstones and my love for Lindsay Lohan. It became I became like a Flintstones <laughs> person and a Lindsay Lohan person for a while. There, it was quite a quite a time. Um, but what really annoys me about the negative reviews. I believe this is a five-star film. I adore this film for so many reasons. But I completely concede that so much of that is personal love, nostalgia, and it just clicking in the right places at the right time for me. And it's it's so part of my life mm-hmm. that it brings me so much joy for that reason. But I just don't understand how people can say this is a terrible film. It's totally fine if it didn't work for you. It's totally fine if you're like, yeah, I didn't think it was great. But to see, like worst of the year to see this is one of the worst films i've ever seen like did we watch the same film <laughs> when you when you visually look at it just as a, a feat of filmmaking the energy the hours that have gone into the visual appeal of this film there is not a single piece of clothing or a single piece of equipment that has not been specifically designed for this <laughs> mm-hmm. film they couldn't use anything real they had to make every single thing you see even things you don't see have to be pan purpose to made i've never seen another film like that 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 had to go to such extreme lengths and in my opinion did it really well like it to me is a cartoon come to life and we're in 2022 now and we're still trying to reboot cartoons and they look shit they don't look (laughs) anything like the original this does this to me if you told what if i imagined as a little kid what would this be like to be there it's this film it is visually this film and the the small touches to detail like the newspaper has a picture of him but it's the cartoon (laughs) version of him and like the little when you just see everyone in the background like what other film has had every single character in the background had to have a handmade outfit (laughs) i just like i just think as a feat as an artistic project and a feat of filmmaking it's just it's got to be up there with some of the greats because you just don't see that effort especially now especially 20 30 god i'm old 30 years (laughs) later you know, we have Game of Thrones, one of the most expensive TV shows ever made, and they left a Starbucks cup on the table. <laughs> like, go back to the work ethic of these guys. Like, the, the Jim Henson crew, how many days did they have? And they yeah. create amazing animatronics, far better than some of the stuff you see on TV today. Yeah. Um, so I think, again, the more I watch it, the more I appreciate that stuff. And I once had a dream of... You know, I went to film school, I did film production, I was going to go be a writer, a director, or whatever, whatever. Um, but when I was at film school, I really wanted to get into art direction and set design. And, like, I can't even begin to imagine. Like, most of the 
buildings and a lot of the props were made from styrofoam. I don't know if anyone else has tried to work with styrofoam before, but I tried to do a Comic Con outfit with some styrofoam and I went through seven attempts. It just disintegrates. That it's impossible to work with. So like these guys did amazing work and I just that's I can understand people being a bit unhappy with the script. Like you said, I understood the story as a kid. Fred is dim, gets a job that he's not qualified to do. People take advantage of his dimness. He's too proud a man to believe anyone when they tell him that something's up because he's got so much pride. But then family save the day and they all work together and good prevails. That's the basis of any kids TV show or film. And I, I like that Halle Berry is really hot in it for the dads. I'm sure my dad was super grateful <laughs> that when he had to take me to see it. And, you know, some of the jokes, they go over your head. I loved it as a four-year-old. I love it as a 33-year-old. I, and again, I like, the cast is perfect for me. I, lo- I like, my, my memory of it is the peril I remember seeing Pebbles and Bam Bam and that like mm-hmm. roller coastery trap thing as they're going down the corner. I remember screaming in the cinema because I was just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Like as a tiny <laughs> little four-year-old. Um, it, it hit me and it's just such a comforting, fun, lovely movie. And the most important thing, which is why, again, the reviews really bug me, especially that New Yorker one, is it's a perfect... TV show brought to life and made longer and it sort of bugs me and I hope when I was doing reviews I never wrote this phrase but when they're like just feels like an episode of the TV show expanded that's what I want (laughs) if I'm I'm watching a movie version of my favourite TV show then yes I want it to be an extended episode of the TV show so that just seems like a really bad criticism because I'm like that's exactly at least for me what I wanted Mm. and after um like watching it for this, I went and watched uh, Being Halloween Season, The Flintstones Me, Count, Rockula and Frankenstone. <laughs> I and... saw you log that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a perfect evening watch. Um, and the tone to the two films fit perfectly for me. They, they get the tone mm-hmm. so right that I'm just like, I don't understand. Did you people never watch an episode of the TV show? Like, did... I don't know. It just, it's fine to not like it, but what's to hate? What's to hate? Yeah. There's so much to love. I'll I, stop now. No, that, that was lovely. <laughs> I fully agree with like, and particularly when you kind of come to the production design of it, that is the thing that like, even when, particularly when you're a kid, that's what your eyes yeah. drawn to. Mm-hmm. Everything's like slightly too big, but mm-hmm. it, but also really tactile in a, in a way that looks like I want to run around and have a go on the... The tactileness. <laughs> I want the props. I want yeah. to hold them. I want to touch them. Yeah. Uh, we, we've spoken to this about a few films um, in this run. And one for me was like The Land Before Time and how like certain like food or leaves and like vegetation in that and like, the sounds of it and the look of it uh, mm. have a really weird kind of like triggering nostalgia based on their kind like of like a sense memory kind of thing yeah mm-hmm. and i have i have the exact same feeling with like the props and the mm-hmm. and the art direction of of this you see film as those well. big ribs oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see that car just it all comes back <laughs> it all comes back <laughs> even like 
just at the end, Carl McLaughlin being covered in clay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's a like classic 90s villain gooings. And I really yeah. miss when villains, villains get gooed at the end. I remembered, I, I'd forgotten his fate. And as, as the showdown was taking place, I thought, oh my God, he gets gooed. That's right. Yeah. And that's so, also it. Like, I love that the villains are villains. Like yes, when you watch a kids' TV, first yeah. scene. No, <laughs> yeah. they don't do villains from nineties movies anymore. Like you watch Liar Liar, you watch this, like you watch. There's so many like Beethoven, like mm-hmm. so many good nineties shows that had real. You were just like, I hate that yeah. person, and they always, their hair was always slightly too tight, and the yeah. woman always had slightly too much eyeliner on. But like modern day kids' films. Like the villain is always misunderstood. Yeah, yes, and I'm like, we, okay, we yeah, fine. We're teaching kids level. a lesson, yeah. like whatever. Like, Just give make me the bad. <laughs> it's like how give me the dark. The Spider-Man. <laughs> No Way Home or whatever was all about reforming the villains. We've got to get them all back and make them nice again. No, just give yeah. me a Wicked Witch of the West, man. Just get us what I want. Give me a moustache twirling. Well, but Venice, they did give me what I wanted. They gave me uh, Andrew Garfield back. So yeah. I was happy. But I, I do, I, that speak, I think what you're saying speaks to a wider thing in that this the casting is not only is the casting perfect, but what I found like quite touching watching it this time, everyone is completely invested. Yeah. Everyone is committed to this idea. And it made me laugh because in theory it's a ludicrous thing to say, but everyone's really <laughs> committed to the idea of making a live-action Flintstones <laughs> movie. And they all know exactly what it is they're in. Yeah. From- yeah. Everyone's doing the same tone in their own character's ways. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because, yeah, like... Karl McGuckin and Halle Berry are doing something very different to what our core four are doing, yeah. but it's perfectly in line with... Yeah. And, like, I know Halle Berry hadn't quite hit her career then, but, like, Karl McGuckin, pretty, like, he'd done all the... Yeah, he's post-Twin Peaks at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah like, fair... Pre-Showgirls. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, like... We've got we've got a lot of showgirls for just great great movie oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's coming on <laughs> but like I love how game he is to oh, just so be a dastardly villain <laughs> <laughs> just just brilliant I think it, it reminded me a little bit of another film that, I, that is maligned from the nineties that I, I've grown rather fond of in recent years is Batman and Robin which is a film that. Mm. It gets crit- it's like people like like with this people critique the thing that it's doing as if it doesn't know what it's doing. I think yeah. the problem with Batman and Robin is the only the only person really who sort of quote unquote got the assignment on the screen was Uma Thurman. She knows exactly what what to play yeah. and she does that. Yeah. Unfortunately, everyone else around her is in a different movie and you know yeah. it, it, it muddies the tone a little bit. But you know Joel Schumacher and the creative teams they know what that film is. They they're going for yeah. the campy otherwise. This... Interesting. Some of the art team from this film went on to work for Batman Forever and Batman. That's Robin. amazing. Yeah. And it's it is that aesthetic Good and team. that tactile and yeah. that absorption of an entire like walking into a playset. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, and like the, the the vibe of the film is made up from the environments as well as mm-hmm. the you know. From, but this this yeah. to me is a film with a whole cast of Boomer Thurmans. Everyone knows what they're doing. <laughs> it's, just, it's just nice to see it you know congealed like that. Do you have a particular favourite out of the core four in terms of the performance? Because I know a lot of those reviews it's, particularly speak to John Goodman. But it, is it is else? John Goodman. Yeah, it, it is. There's nothing wrong with any of the rest of the cast, but John Goodman is so brilliant. And like again, one of the things I love, which is such a thing from the show, is they bring about his stubbornness and that that pride. But we know he has a heart of gold, and John Goodman is able to express that with the smallest of little glimpses. You know when. 
he gives Barney the money, but he's like, don't tell anyone. And then when he has the, the pangs towards the end, when he, or even in the middle when he has to fire Barney, and then when they come back together, like John Goodman gives him, is is it pathos? I feel like I'm overusing a word there. <laughs> um, but like such heart to such a mean character. And that is, again, what the show was able to balance. The show was mm. always Fred doing something and not listening to Wilma and being anything. But at the end of the day, he listens to them and we know that he loves his family. And I just, I've no, I, I would say it's probably in my top 10 of just perfect casting. I would say John Goodman and Reese Weatherspoon as Elwood's and Legally Blonde are two <laughs> of the most perfect, well-cast characters I've ever seen. <laughs> There was one line delivery that just made me like it made me do a spit take. It got me so well. It's when they're at the fancy, uh, they're out having a fancy dinner with the B twenty five player. And um, it turns out that Barney is a is a, a waiter there, like a busboy or whatever. <laughs> and Fred goes, "Now get me a clean spoon." And I wrote down that line. <laughs> it's just, it, it was like a slap in the face to me, and it just made me laugh until. <laughs> Until I hurt, it was oh, incredible. I'm glad you pulled that up. <laughs> Give me a clean spoon. <laughs> Just stellar, stellar stuff from John. Yeah, I really love Moranis in this as well. Like particularly mm. even just like the the way, like if you kind of compare like the ghost his Ghostbuster performance with this and Honey I Shrunk the Kids, they like it's. They're very different. <laughs> well, see, I think the, the problem with Moranis for me is I don't think I'd ever seen another one of his films. I didn't see Ghostbusters until I was about 18. Mm-hmm. So, whereas I saw this when I was four and rewatched it many times. And I, The Honey I Shrunk the Kids, I knew it existed, but I never actually sat down and watched it. So I think to me, he was Barney yeah. for so long that I can't appreciate it because I'm like, well, that's just Barney. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's right. <laughs> even the way he's like, He's got his shoulders up and he's got that yeah. kind of sly grin on that. He's really trying to get into the stature of the cartoon. He, it's a really good yeah, physical performance. <laughs> physically tiny. And there's actually not that much difference. No. Like some of the shots they don't see. But because in the cartoon, Barney's so teeny tiny. Mm. And he feels teeny tiny. Just the way he is. Yeah, that stature. Yeah. Oh, Chief Red. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a great line too. In that, like, the beat. I forgot they tried to lynch them. At one point, oh, that I that was a very strange beat. You forgot, but there's a really the way the another line that really got me is when he says, "Oh, everybody loves you, Fred, except of course for this lunch mob." <laughs> uh, some good gags. There are some like very Simpsonsy kind of mm-hmm. gags in this movie, which um, is nice to uncover those when you revisit them. Yeah, it's e- it's easy to kind of like forget how influential the particularly the tv show was to mm-hmm. the makeup of the simpsons and to and to family guy well pretty much seth MacFarlane's career <laughs> so. I, I love how much seth MacFarlane loves the flintstones because mm. he had the rights for a while he to did, yeah. reboot it and um he was asked about it quite recently and he said he didn't do it because he couldn't do it right <laughs> and i respect that so much that he didn't just have that I'm great and I've made a really successful cartoon empire he was like no I love this too much to do it bad and I was like yes yeah. like love that step away I guess for like someone like Le- Levant it's a bit different when you're doing a the live action version mm-hmm. you've got a bit more like okay I'm kind of 
configuring what this looks like when it gets up there. And originally they did have a bit of a blessing from Hannah and Barbera, even though yeah. they kind of turned around and said they didn't love it. Um, whereas I think for McFarlane, like, he's trying to make it this whole own thing. But I don't know where the rights are now because I don't know if he still owns the rights. So I, don't I, know think it's ba- the I think Warners have it now. Um, well, because they were trying to... I don't know if you saw the Scoob film. Yeah. Yes. Oh, they yeah. tried to, like, backdoor... Like, like a Hanna-Barbera universe. HBCU. In, 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 uh, like, as someone who adores Hanna-Barbera, <coughs> I was like, this is trash. This is <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah. I don't want this. And I love Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> well, everything needs to be a cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> They're all in there, aren't they? You forget that it's not yeah. just... Sco- it's not even, like, a little cameo. They're all integral to, like, the final set piece. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And, like, I'm sorry... George Jetson and Fred Flintstone should never meet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fundamentally agree. Yabba um, dabba no. They're, they're in the Yabba background. Yabba don't. Get it right. Other... <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm just... It's right there. I'm it's just... right there. <laughs> I'm, just... I'm just out of my element. <laughs> I think just... most of the reviews were literally called Yabba dabba don't. don't. <laughs> I, I've, I've brought a knife to a gunfight. It's I've brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> I've brought strife to a pun fight. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but to that point, I remember seeing that I think they're one of the many characters in the background of Space Jam, a new legacy at some point. I, I, I was there trying there. to like pause it to be yeah. like, there's, <laughs> so you know, there's, the, there's that, there's that. <laughs> Having a great I, time. I think that, did you read about like Elizabeth Banks doing a TV show with Pebbles in her 20s as it's like the kind of, uh, threshold of the Stone Age to the Bronze Age. I think that's mm-hmm. still happening. Last, like, yeah, but again, that would probably be WB. So I'd imagine yeah. that now isn't yeah. happening. <laughs> so, oh, just, good point. Yeah. <laughs> d- d- day of recording, they just got rid of Cartoon Network Studios. No. So they're now they they don't want to separate because there was Warner Brothers Animation, there was Cartoon yeah. Network Animation. I'm not sure of the official title. They're now merging them as just one, basically. Just getting rid of an entire oh, very successful cartoon mm. franchise like era they're erasing so, yeah. so much as well so many things are just taken off their server and mm-hmm. it's a very scary time yeah well because there's the, the mindy kaling's velma show mm. like i can't believe that's still going ahead and mm. i'm waiting for that to be another tax write-off yeah yeah I do, do you want? Do you reckon a little bit of tangent, I guess? But do you, do you think that things like Scoob Two and Batgirl will ever, ever, ever see the light of day? I know. I, I think Scoob was more Scoob likely. Two was pretty much finished, wasn't it? It's like it about ninety percent done. It was like a holiday special. Oh, okay. Uh, I I um, was thinking. Yeah, it was, it was like a, a cute holiday special thing. Oh, um, I see. No, because that was all but done, um, and they. Even after they cancelled it, they still recorded the entire soundtrack because the musicians had been contracted to do it. Right, yeah. Um, but the they can't. Booked. I don't think legally they can be nah. released because of the tax right, issues. Right, because of, yeah. Um, so I think all that will happen it. for something like Batgirl is we'll just continue to get as much behind-the-scenes footage as anyone has mm-hmm. because yeah. that's not contractually. But with something that's animated, there is no behind-the-scenes. Like, yeah, that's just a button, point. dead, done. Yeah. Well, fuck you, David Zaslav. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come for my Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> I, to kind of kind of go on this point of IP, this is I feel like the nineties in particular, and going into like like early noughties period, you, you get quite a few um, live action adaptations of cartoons or like mm. adaptations of just generally um, 
old 60s properties in this period from cartoon to live action thinking of your your adam's families um, inspector gadget the avengers <laughs> um, that keeps coming on and off of the bottom 100 <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> 103 or something because every so often it gets back to 99 yeah and then it goes away again <laughs> <laughs> that is my sweet spot of bad movie is that one of those really <laughs> fascinating 90 minute 90s adaptation yeah. failures that you can tell yeah. has been cut to pieces there's a yeah. an extra hour somewhere that would make it make a bit more sense but yeah, anyway that's why i can't wait to do batman and robin yeah. <laughs> even that to a point feels like a big live action mm. re- a big mm-hmm. p- big screen remake of the 60s show mm-hmm. but, uh, mm-hmm. where, where does this kind of fit in that kind of pantheon of um live action adaptations of like a classic cartoon property we just did this as a W rated. Oh. I don't know if I have my list. I don't know where I put my list of what films I was going to pick. I haven't edited it yet, so I can't remember. <laughs> but we did our top three live and um, like live action things, and so I Flintstones was top for me, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Scooby Doo, again, absolute top. Um, and then I can't remember what my third one was that's going to annoy me um but yeah like for me flintstones and scooby-doo yeah joint hand in hand top i think both because of my absolute love for the shows my absolute love for particular characters within the shows and the fact that they feel like cartoons brought to life which just isn't done enough but the, the wackiness especially if that first scooby-doo thing where they go to literally like isn't it wacky island no, it could be wacky island yeah. um, like i love the ridiculous cartoonness of it because that is what made the original show so good that's if we're getting more that's what i want and again that casting the core yeah, for in scooby-doo mm, is another just yeah. pinpoint perfect cast um so they are like they're the pantheon of doing it right yeah Mm. because i think they're perfect um, homages to where they come from and they know their source material and they respect their source material Mm -hmm. so much so they made scrappy the villain which is just perfect (laughs) (laughs) always a big fan of that move thank you for that james gunn (laughs) (laughs) how about yourself josh can you think of any in particular yeah i think i think the holy grail for me would be um the adams family films the barry sonnefell ones particularly values which is just i think as close to a perfect film as you can get and again the casting every single person in that film is is the ideal version of that casting and somebody pointed out to me uh a while ago pre the animated adams family movies that they want to see uh, another live action version with Oscar Isaac as Gomez and uh, Eva Green as Morticia and that I can't get that out of my head that is the <laughs> only rebooted Adam's Family yeah recently yeah. <laughs> I do like the casting of Catherine yeah. Seeta-Jones I was yeah. I really mm, like yeah, that casting that's a smart one that's a good one and who is it who's playing the um who's who's Gomez again is it Louis Guzman Louis Guzman mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Fred Armisen as, as Fester, it's been revealed. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I, I can go with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, Fred. Okay. <laughs> but I think I, I rewatch Values quite often, and it never, just the, the construction of that is so brilliant. And again, yeah. it is just an extended, both of them are extended sitcom episodes, but just the, it's the, there's a real lurid tone. <laughs> Sonnenfeld is such a good, was in the 90s, such a good conjurer of tone. And yeah. uh, it's so so viscous and 
Oh, I love it so so much. <laughs> what about you? What would yours be? Um, there's a couple of like that. There are ones that like I've only ever seen the movie version of, and like never seen the cartoon series. I'm always aware that Jaws of the Jungle was a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Never saw that cartoon. I don't think that ever really played in the UK. But that's a film that I was very happy to when I <laughs> when I came back to it in my twenties. I was so happy to be like, oh yeah, this holds up. This is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Josie and the Pussycats that's another one that uh, that comes to mind as being like again never really seen the cartoon but um, that's another tactile I want all the props yeah Yeah. (laughs) the the amount the amount of times in my life I've thought about that McDonald's bathroom (laughs) (laughs) has a hold on me it has a hold on me and that's another movie that I feel like was idiotically yeah but people say it's it's such a, a corporate shell of a film that's what it's doing. That's what it's sending but, up. Don't critique the film for doing the thing that it's purporting to be doing. It's yeah, crazy. I think that was very ahead of its time, and I feel yeah. like the studio didn't know what it. What the studio didn't really understand what the movie was itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that film. Yeah, great. There's a lot of good ones. On <laughs> now we're talking about. It. There's so many good examples of this. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, Inspector Gadget being. One of the first films that I realised was bad <laughs> as a kid in the cinema. Oh, it's <laughs> quite a poignant realisation, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like mine was Spice World. I loved Spice World. Oh. I had a great time in Spice World. Yeah. But I think I also knew. It yeah, you're like this isn't, this isn't technically good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that movie as well. I think I it sort of speaks to a larger point. I think you were getting at it earlier on in um, like even the bad films that are coming out now are just boring. Like the net the bad Netflix films, mm. there's nothing to them. Whereas yeah. you go back to the '90s and even like the early mid noughties and there was such personality to the bad films. Yeah, that like. The comedy doesn't always land, or the the storyline flops a bit. But they were trying. Yeah, there was yeah. energy. Like you feel the energy, whether it's good or totally. bad. Whereas now, yeah, a lot of bad films now they're just bad because you can kind of tell that everyone was just, just phoning it, it in. It feels algorithmic, yeah. doesn't it? It's all flat. Yeah. It's all. There's just no visual effort. It mm-hmm. seems. And I really, I'm getting, I'm, I'm rediscovering. Well, I, I, discovering just period such a fondness for a lot of these nineties flops yeah. and and disasters, um, just because they have people made them. You can you can feel the thumbprints mm. on the on the worlds, and they make choices. Yeah, and it's it's, it's, even, it's even to the point where like everything feels like, uh, and it, this kind of speaks to the Flintstones, and also like weirdly a lot of other family films, particularly from the nineties. As weird as it, 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 you something you really only really appreciate with adult eyes is how much they do cater to like both the kids and to the adults, and a lot yeah. of that is mm. down like from jokes that go over, and also just from actually having kind of like a bit of a libido or a sex appeal. Mm-hmm. I think of like particularly '94, you, you've got this where like Halle Berry and Carl McLaughlin looking like they're they're, they're sexy villains, then, and then you then, also have then, like. Yeah. In, in 94, it made me think of this a lot. Like, weirdly, I think the tones are quite... They're close to being quite similar. Something like The Mask, which is mm-hmm. technically a kid's film, but has yes. this, like, The Mask adult streak actually going isn't through. a kid's it's film. It's not, is it? Like no, it's really not, but it's marketed straight but, to kids. <laughs> well, because I remember watching that in, like, a kid's club, yeah, and I rewatched yeah. it in the pandemic, and I was like, 
This is like a 15. Yeah. Like, dark. Why, was I, why did I watch this as a five-year-old? When I watched it when so I, many times. Yeah, it was my... I, I made my own little mask and I'd walk around saying, Mum, look at the Anne Stanley Ipkiss. Uh, I, yeah. At one point, I got my VHS and I took the... the the, the cover out of it and I made myself a little 12 certificate and stuck it over the PG because <laughs> I thought this is not acceptable this is not a children's <laughs> film <laughs> did you notice Andy it's, I, I was hoping to get to the mask did you notice a cameo from one of our mask favourites in the Flintstones is it the his mate uh, Doyle um, Doyle uh, yeah Doyle <laughs> Doyle's the, the major D or whatever yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> there were so many of those guys in the 90s that just yeah. turned up and stuff. Just cropped up all the time. <laughs> just those guys. But that but yeah, is a great again, example. Is the they mask. kind of just have a pulse a bit more. Yeah. Even the even the ones that like, at the time were, criti- like we say, like, were really critically torn apart. Uh, it, does feel, it does feel, it feels particularly quite mean to really bash on this movie. Despite like, yes, it does make some strange choices in like some of the, it's, plot threads that when you're more of an adult you'd be like this won't appeal to children but then well, you think it did yeah. <laughs> every time i watch it the one that gets me because i'm just like where was that meant to be going was when they're watching the kids play and the pterodactyl comes yeah. over and they're like oh and then they just never speak of it again it's just it cuts to the next scene i'm like where where was where was that meant to was that, I'm like, it looked great. It was a great shot. That's one of my favourite just little random touches that's just like, this is what living in a prehistoric uh, yeah. suburb is like. Sometimes you got to watch out for bird droppings. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there'll be like a like a get in a bunker event. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, like it's it's a great exercise in world building. Um, mm-hmm. And no matter what you may think of the kind of plots or the tone or um any of the kind of performances being dialed up i think as a case of world building it's it's like all the points we've been saying it's just something you don't really see a lot of anymore because if you picture this now done on a green screen yeah Yeah. exactly it'll all be done on a green screen so sad yeah and it would be gritty and real wouldn't be like orange and pink like houses it would be dark gray made of real sand (laughs) (laughs) I want to see the Robert Eggers Flintstones. Imagine that. You Period wouldn't be specific. able to see it. It'd just be dark. Like, sorry, sorry. It's, I think that's a redhead. I see a tiny flash of orange hair. And they wouldn't talk in English. It's just a gr- grunting language. Just yeah. 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 They'd eat, da- they'd eat Dino. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Would you would you like to see a live action attempt at this again, or do you think the future for Flintstones, no matter I... like where it ends up, might end up as CG kind of territory? But would you see a live I don't action want one again? Anyone to do it again? Having watched Viva Rock Vegas for the first time mm. in the last couple of years, it's such a step down. Even in those like I think that's two thousand or two thousand one. Yeah, so less than less than ten years, but the the step down in quality both in terms of they cut the budget but then even the use of cgi the the costuming it's all so much cheaper and the wigs are terrible i feel like a flintstones film is never going to be given the budget it was given it's never going to be given the resources it was given it's never going to have a cast like the cast had like what 
you know, successful indie film darling who's also got his foot in a successful groundbreaking sitcom dramedy would ever agree to be a silly comic person who's going to get hit in the face <laughs> with a bowling ball. Like, no one's Sign me up, Jack. <laughs> my God, it'd be Chris Pratt. And, like, I'm not a Chris Pratt hater, but I don't want Chris Pratt as Fred Flintstone. No. No, thank you. He'd no. maybe be a Barney at a push, but even then, no, thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no. Having seen what came after this, I definitely don't want to see what would come 30 years after it. Mm. I think that's fair. Do you have any strong feelings as towards the as towards the future of what a live action Flintstones might end up looking like today, Josh? No, but I just had this image in my head where I feel like it would be Chris Pratt as Fred Flintstone and Tom Holland as Barney. That's what I feel like it would go towards. Because they just put him in everything now. Oh, jeez, I'm so sorry, Fred. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Jeez. No. That's my hell. And yeah. I like both of those <laughs> actors. I like Tom Holland. Oh, God, but that is... that's Oh, I cry so much. Uh, you are entirely right, though. It, it's not only the production side of it. I mean, when's the last time someone did that? Maybe George Miller with Mad Max was able to commandeer that much money to make something so... Loot to huge and insane. But it, it is who is who lacks the vanity enough to disappear into this world. Because it's not only getting hit on the head with boulders but it's it's giving yourself to the overall tone of the film and letting that yeah. guide you as opposed to bringing your movie starness and letting that guide yeah. the tone i just don't know who i mean maybe christian bale can you imagine christian bale playing fred flintstone <laughs> no, don't let that man near the flintstones <laughs> but so it, he is he's able to do that obviously to much different ends mm-hmm but I want Adam Scott as Barney. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> I just Nick, like Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman as <gasps> Fred. Nick Offerman as Fred. Yeah, because he does shout. love a bit of like endearing comedy. I love when Nick Offerman's kind. Yeah. Yeah. Like hearts beat loud when he's mm-hmm. just a really sad, caring dad. Just makes my heart grow <laughs> 20 sizes. <laughs> okay, yeah. Nick Offerman can do Fred Flintstone for like an SNL sketch. You know, like that one. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> No more, no less. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a horse in this race, Andy? Do you do you see it? No, no. I think anywhere? like I did certainly like that Elizabeth Banks project. I'll be like, if it did come out, I'll like I'll give that an episode or two. But mm-hmm. I, my thinking is, if this is gonna come, if this IP is gonna come back in any way, it's gonna be on TV as a cartoon, mm-hmm. and that is probably. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's also about time because the last really like proper Flintstones property I can think of is when like WWE did a short film like <laughs> WWE seemed to do a film with every cartoon character and I think they've done one with the Flintstones I think there's the a couple time. they've done I think they've done a few with the Flintstones <laughs> I think there's more than one because oh, I was wanting to I was wanting to watch something like cartoony Flintstonesy, which is why I went for the Franken Rock and Count Rockula, Frankenstone and Rockula. Oh my god, words. <laughs> so many. Uh, because also it's like it felt festive, but like there yeah. were quite a lot. Like there's all sorts of the Flintstones meets and Scooby Doo meets. And... Mm-hmm. Here we go. The Flintstones and WWE Stone Age Smackdown from 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Flintstones James Bond parody, which I do. I I'm not a James Bond fan, so I would like to see the Flintstones take the piss out of it. Was wow. that the? Because there was a feature length animated 
thing at the end of the 60s, wasn't there? Just after the yeah, TV show Yeah, that's ended. the one. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, like the spy that rocked me or something like that. I have vague memories of that. Uh, maybe be it on TV or uh, on video. But uh, I have very vague mm-hmm. memories of that being a thing. And and Flintstone Kids. I don't know if you remember that from, I think that was I do the late that. 80s, early Flintstone 90s. Kids. Yeah. Yeah, so it's them all in daycare. Right. If you're a successful cartoon, you're going to have your version of a kid's version at some point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, good fun. Elizabeth Perkins, Rosie O'Donnell, Kyle McLaughlin, Halle Berry, Jonathan Winters, the BC-52s, and Elizabeth Taylor. Fred Flintstone, you've arrived. I'm only one man. Not from the back. It doesn't get any better than this. Steven Spielrock presents The Flintstones. (laughs) Directed by Brian Levant. Well, that's what we thought of the Flintstones. We, of course, put out our message to to, to you, dear listeners, for any anybody who wanted to uh, write on in and let us know your thoughts on the Flintstones. And we had we had a few responses. We had uh, one from Jason at uh, Ner- Nerdrovert on uh, Twitter saying, "Worth watching simply for the production design. Still impressive. Twenty eight years later, can you name another live action adaptation that was cast so well?" Love that they use Mel Blanc's voice for Dino. And absolutely wild to think what Barney would have been like had Dedito <laughs> taken the part. And I think in response to a call out that you made, Claire, he also commented saying, how could such an amazing film have such a low Rotten Tomato <laughs> score? And how can we work together to correct this? <laughs> I just, I have a list on Letterboxd that is, because it's now become such a, a curse. If you listen to W-rated, mm-hmm. you can hear that, we do the Flintstones test because Viva Rock Vegas is on the bottom 100 but has a higher audience rating than the original, no. which I just think is atrocious. But <clears> so now every film that we do, we do the Flintstones test to, um, I've got, I'm on the wrong letterbox. Um, we do the Flintstones <laughs> test to see its film. And I think it's something like 75% of them have higher audience scores than the Flintstones. Oh. And like, I'm not asking for it to be <laughs> like fresh. Just asking for it to, to be higher than Dance Flick, you know, <laughs> or Estarco. <laughs> it, it annoys me that it's taken as read that the Flintstones is bad. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. don't go with the with the dogma. Just make your own mind up, dear listeners. Give it yeah. a little watch. Um, much like we advise Harley Bumford to do, Harley from Fundamentals Pod tweeted us in saying, uh, funnily enough, I was reminiscing about this movie yesterday. Haven't seen it in years, but fondly remember watching it at my grandparents. Something tells me I might be better leaving it off as a fond memory. I don't think any of us would uh, would necessarily prescribe that shot, course yeah. of action. Give it a go, man. It'll make you it warm and fuzzy, I think. Yeah, that's it. It's just comforting. You're a bit hungover on a Sunday or it's raining. Get yourself a little blankie. Make yourself, <laughs> I don't know, a hot chocolate or Christmas Eve, stick it on with the whole family. Have a lovely time. <laughs> it's a people pleaser, apart from critics. <laughs> um, uh, my partner Emily, who watched the film immediately, 
last night as well wanted me to say that um she says this is akin to an acting <laughs> the, the look and feel of this is akin to an acting challenge on drag race but with a bigger budget <laughs> 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 I would like to see a drag race Flintstones challenge. (laughs) Wow, that they haven't done one, to be honest. (laughs) WB won't give them the rights. Yabba dabba, don't do that, is what they said, probably. (laughs) There you go, you got one finally. Well done. Uh, let's we'll reserve the right to cut this bit because it does harshen the vibe a little bit. Shall we read out the email that we got or not? I'll oh, go for it. Let go me get angry. It. Yeah, go let, for it. Let Claire's, let Claire react. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. I'll, <laughs> okay. So we got an email from Victor Field. Uh, the email subject reads: "The Flintstones. I did not have a gay old time seeing this when it came out." Um, so Victor says. The first movie from the TV show, The Man Called Flintstone, was infinitely better than this tosh. Despite its complete absence of plot and too much sodding singing, at least a live-action movie had the B, C, in in parentheses, 52s. Kill me, in parentheses, he says. Uh, actually, I don't think I want to include this after all. No, let's let's we'll cut this bit out. But I'll keep reading it. Um, uh, even though they were doing a song done a lot better on the original series, but I did like the universe shell logo joke. Although that's on the very very capital letters short list of things that the sequel did better than this tiresome gubbins. Plus, I'm in the minority on this. John Goodman was hopelessly miscast as Fred Flintstone. Fred's always seemed a bit dim. And John Goodman can't play a lunkhead. Not to mention being way too fat. If James Belushi had been cast, maybe it might have worked. Although we'd still have the terrible script and the director of Problem Child 2. Fortunately for Halle Berry, (laughs) Die Another Day and Catwoman keep this from being the worst movie she's made. And we can blame... Uh, and can we blame this for the rash of unasked for live action adaptations of cartoons, Scooby-Doo and its sequel, Inspector Gadget and the current Disney Blitzkrieg? Apologies to Claire Allen Hope. Maybe if I'd been a lot younger than 24 when I saw it, I might have liked it more, but I doubt it. Yours, Victor Field. Also, Rosie O'Donnell, no, just no. Right. Do you know Victor? Is Victor a friend of yours? I don't think I do. I'm going to have to, but in rebuttal. (laughs) Probably probably not the target audience. Completely respect. There wasn't too much B-52s. There wasn't even that much music. There There was one scene. The soundtrack of this film is nuts when you listen to the end credits as well. (laughs) I feel like there was only one scene that had music in. Um, I don't like to disagree with people's opinions, but you could not be more wrong about Fred. I'm sorry. He plays him incredibly stupidly. He seems like an absolute moron. But the bigger thing being that he was not fat enough. I'm like, no offence to Mr. Goodman, but he's a large lad. Like, I've always how... a bit of a beefcake in this film. <laughs> I just am like, how much, how much bigger did you want I think he said he's to... too fat. John Goodman oh. is too fat to play Fred. No. Oh, well, then absolutely not, because cartoon, he's a big stocky fella. Yeah. Like, large. He's rotund. Yeah. Um, and then, like, what's wrong with Rosie O'Donnell? Why are you hating? Why are you going to be mad? Like, um, but, you know, the other stuff... You, you probably can blame it audience. for the live action 
glut that we got. <laughs> but we cannot be blamed for the shit Disney stuff, though. No. Let's not no, put that on this We've spent about 20 minutes listing that. off other live-action adaptations yeah. of cartoons that we yeah. enjoy greatly, so we, we're afraid <laughs> yeah. we can't get behind you on this one. But I, 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 respect, I respect the opinions, yes. apart from the John Goodman bit. I have yeah. no respect for that. <laughs> <laughs> And it's always nice to hear from you listeners. <laughs> we used to ask for listener feedback on our podcast and then we just stopped. <laughs> it's just probably why. I didn't want to end on that, though. <laughs> I, I quite enjoyed the rebuttal. Uh... <laughs> yes. I am also just looking at the soundtrack for the film now. And of course, it's Crash that's... Test Dummies is on there. Yeah. Of course they are. What a busy it's 1994 like a they had. There's a rap at the end. And I'm like, of course it's a rap. It's early 90s. I think, like, I think the thing to bring it back is it's a family film and from the sounds of it, families went out in droves yeah. to see it and families went out in droves to buy the VHS. And I feel like it did what it set out to do. As a fan of the original, it feels like a beautiful homage. As a kid who went to see it with her family, I had a great time. And mm-hmm. um, Like, if that doesn't work for everyone, that's totally fine. Sometimes not everyone is the target audience, and that's yeah. okay. Not everything needs to be for you. Yeah. So, I, and I, I completely agree with you as well. I like. I remember kind of as when you're kids, you do watch things over and over again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes immediately after you've finished watching, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and certain things your parents begin to somewhat resent you for. <laughs> you you see that VHS. Like, you've got them double stacked, and that one keeps ending up in the second stack that you can't see. And what is that? I want to watch something else. No, no. <laughs> but I never remember this one getting being one that grated on my parents. So mm-hmm. I, I, do, I do agree with you. I think it does have uh, a bigger universal uh, yeah. <laughs> appeal, if you will. And, yeah. and, that, and, and the amount of goodwill I felt towards it, coming back to it, for this I, I was quite surprised but i was like this has made me feel quite nice and fuzzy mm. and that is something you can never take for granite and end, end of puns <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and also just halle berry <laughs> i mean hot damn <laughs> like just i feel like that was an awakening moment for many many people yes <laughs> i remember i'm glad you said it was yes. very very young <laughs> was very young when i saw this and didn't have the vocabulary or understanding of certain uh, physiological reactions. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this was definitely ahead of its time in Not terms surprising of that this is a, And it's the same year as Cameron Deers in the mask. It's a, it's a weird time. <laughs> it was a great time to be a dad of a five-year-old. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, put it on again. Uh, just put put on put on that. Uh, thank you so much, Claire, for joining us today. So, uh, I knew you bring the the enthusiasm needed for this. I think this I think everyone's hoping I'll um, shut up about it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> contrary! But they don't know. There's a Lindsay Lohan movie coming out in thirty days, so I'm just ah. ready to switch those gears. <laughs> We'll be back in the new year on the Flintstones train. <laughs> uh... 
It was nice to watching this film through your eyes as well. I, I approached mm. it this time around with a, an optimistic mindset. And an was... optimistic mindset. That's the thing. Like, again, I, I 100% I think it's a five-star film because it brings me so much joy. It it makes my heart sparkle is what I say a five-star film has to do. Yeah. Um, or make me wish I was dead because it's so soul-crushingly depressing. Um <laughs> It's one of those portrait of a lady on fire. (laughs) (laughs) But that makes my heart sparkle at times too. Um, But like, I just think it's a pleasant film. I just think Mm -hmm. it's a pleasant film. Like, if you were stuck looking after a kid and this was what was on in the background, you could do so much worse. Mm -hmm. So, like, (laughs) just think about that. Would you rather watch The Queen's Corgi? I don't think so. Fully agreed. <laughs> uh, where can the the good listeners find you on and W rated? Uh, should they be so inclined? Yes, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Claire Ellen Hope. Claire has no I, um, and W rated is at W rated Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I don't know when this is coming out, but currently we're on a teeny tiny break. And W rated, uh, we are still recording. We just ran out of episodes to edit and release so we're just <laughs> just pausing on the release um but we're hoping to be back around november december lovely stuff um, but we've got a few episodes to catch up on while you're there um and as for myself i am mostly just existing um if you follow me anytime between now and whenever the new taylor swift album comes out or the new Lindsay lohan movie comes out i am very sorry <laughs> like the, the stars aligned for me over the night i got hocus pocus 2 i'm getting a Lindsay lohan movie i'm getting a new taylor swift album my favorite author's releasing a new book like winter it's great to be is coming right in, now coming in hot for, for you. <laughs> yeah because it's definitely something else as well which i've forgotten it's just a, a good time is about to be had <laughs> fantastic well we'll make sure to link to all that in the episode description as well so that people can find you easy enough and we look forward to w rated getting back up back up and running we're 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 very familiar with the with the podcast breaks (laughs) we've been a bit (laughs) back to this year (laughs) you know how it is (laughs) Uh, and that does just about wrap us up on our discussion of the flintstones here and we hope you all join us next time uh, for what is another adaptation as we get acquainted with the little rascals in the, the nineteen ninety four comedy directed by Pen- uh, Penelope Spheris. It's a great Penelope Spheris, yeah. Uh, based on Hal Roach's Our Gang short films released across the nineteen twenties, thirties, and forties. Um, if you would like to watch the film along with us and don't happen to have it on disc, it is available to stream for those of you that have a Netflix subscription. Otherwise, it is available to buy or rent digitally. From Amazon, Apple TV, Google Play, Microsoft, Sky Store, and YouTube. Excellent. And if you've got any thoughts about the film, whether you saw it a lot as a kid or saw it in later years, I haven't seen it for donkeys, so I have no idea I've never seen how it's it. going <laughs> to play these days. It's always one of those posters that I remember yeah. seeing. Being like, mm. that looks like a fake film. Yeah. <laughs> like in the background of 30 Rock or something. Yeah, yeah. That, that just doesn't look like it would be a real a real 90-minute film. <laughs> uh, but if you have seen it and have thoughts, please do uh, tweet us at ramblinamblin or email us at ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com. And while you've got your phone out, just go to your podcast app of choice and give us a little rating and a subscribe. Yeah. Tell your friends. Yeah, like, whatever you spread want. Spread the word. <laughs> 
<laughs> and also maybe get a Rotten Tomatoes account, go online, yeah, go yeah. to the Flintstones, and just give it a, a semi-positive. I'm just asking for three stars, guys. Yeah. That's all I'm asking. Actually, actually, we do have a RT verified critic on this call. Do we not? Mm. I, oh, I, <laughs> I could use my powers for good. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to find someone that's going to let me publish it. <laughs> it stays you know, you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even attempting to appeal to the critics. I know they're lost. I'm just like, come on, audiences. Yeah. Like, there have to be yeah. other people in their that 30s <laughs> that equally saw this as a kid and still have absolute fond passion mm-hmm, for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got to be out there. Got to be gotta be and we hope you just listened. need it I just need it to like i just need the percentage just to get to like 35 or 40 like it's it's in the yeah. low 20s at the moment that's not cool yeah it's as long as we get it above sharp boy and lava yeah. girl we'll we'll, 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 we'll be happy <laughs> <laughs> uh, well thank you so much again claire it's been an absolute joy traveling to bedrock with you <laughs> thank you uh i have been andy godian and I've been Josh Glenn, who hasn't used his time to think of a uh, prehistoric <laughs> pun for his name. And all together, we've been rambling, ambling, all about the Flintstones. We hope you had a yabba dabba do time, a dabba do time, and have a gay old time till the next time. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs> well, bye! <laughs>